But I want to start out with a question. What comes to your mind when I say the word Christian? What comes to mind when I say the word Christian? But first, I want to do a little word association just so we can prime the pump a little bit and you can think more. So whatever comes to mind at the end of what is a Christian, hopefully be more clear because we primed the pump a little bit. So what do you think of when I say a Star Wars fan? What, Darth Vader. What do you think of when I say the best actor? John Wayne. What do you think of when I say a Manchester United fan? Boo. Boo. <laughs> what do you think of when I say a royal wedding? Boring. Boring. <laughs> you, I, I, I'm not allowed to say that. Um, and, what do you, <laughs> and what do you think of when I say Christian? What do you think of? If you ask ten different people, what is a Christian... You're going to get at least nine different answers. At least nine different answers. If you ask somebody on the street, at least in America, hey, are you a Christian? You get some people to say, yeah. You get some people to say, well, what, do you, what do you mean by that? You get some people who say, yes, but, and then they would just elaborate. Or no, but, kind of. Or just some people would just flat out say, no. No, I am not a Christian. And some of you would say that at some point that you became a Christian, that you prayed the prayer, that you walked the aisle, or depending on your background, that you went through a first communion class or something along that sort. So some people would say, I've always been a Christian. Since I was born, I've always been a Christian. Now it seems that the answer to what is a Christian, it lacks clarity. It lacks simplicity. It's, it can be, like I said, if, there's, if you ask ten different people and you get at least nine different answers, it doesn't seem like it's that clear, does it? Like, what is a Christian? So here's a strange fact. The first followers of Jesus did not call themselves Christians. They didn't do it. Matter of fact, the term Christian was a derogatory term, meaning little Christ. Christians didn't call themselves Christians, so what did they call themselves? What did they call themselves? They called themselves, in Acts 11.26, disciples. The word Christian appears in the whole Bible three times. Just three times in the whole Bible. The word disciple is used 281 times just in the New Testament. We have lost the clarity of what does it mean to say, I am a Christian. But there is clarity when you say, I am a disciple of Jesus. Because like I said, the word Christian takes on a whole lot of meaning. But you say, I am a disciple of Jesus. That means I am a follower of Jesus. You have really narrowed it down to what you believe because you're going to do everything he does because you are a follower of him. And it, 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 the word disciple does convey actually what you are. So what is a disciple? What is a disciple? At the very core, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is someone who is set on a track to grow and to develop, to be like their rabbi or who they are following. In nearly every sphere of life, people learn skills from someone else. They are discipled by someone else. For example, uh, like an electrician, he is only affirmed after he goes through an apprenticeship of um, of a more skilled, experienced, and electrician. I'm thankful for that because if not, our houses will catch on fire if they did not be discipled by a better electrician. Same thing with a doctor. When they finish medical school and they go through all the schooling, 
he or she invests in several years of residency. What are they doing? What are they doing in a residency? They are following and learning and trying to emulate and become just like the surgeon that they want to be. They are modeling after that. And after time of shadowing an experienced physician, they will then become a doctor. In every sphere of life, you have to train under someone else to then become what you want to become or to become like them. So I'm going to read Mark 1, verses 16 to 20, uh, as yet it is on the board. So, here we go. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he left them, or he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray before we begin diving into this passage. God, we, Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we pray that today we would learn and grow through your word. We pray, Lord, that we would apply the word to our hearts and to our lives Lord, we pray for people in here who are not yet believers and not yet true disciples and followers of you. We pray, Lord, that, that they would become followers of you. We pray, Lord, for those of us who are disciples, we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us and make us more like you, help us follow you more closely and more intimately. Lord, hide me in your word, Lord, that you are the only one who speaks here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give a little context and history to what, um, to what is kind of going on here in terms of, um, you know, Jesus calling people. You know, he, he's known as a rabbi, as a teacher. He is the Christ. Um, so I want to give a little background to what is it, like, kind of the history of discipleship and rabbis and kind of how all of that worked. Uh, I, hope, I hope that this part is actually very uh, entertaining to you. I hope it's, I hope it's intriguing to you because I think it does set some good background to what we're going to see here uh, and I think it's extremely fascinating to kind of know about the customs of the day. I, hope it really, I think it really helps us understand about what it means to be a disciple. So here we go. All Hebrew boys went to Torah school, which is the first five books of the, of the Bible. And it began with a, a special ceremony, because at this point they didn't have, they weren't going to the store and getting Carmelo bars. They weren't going and getting Snicker bars. So at age five, when they would, the first time that they would go and that they would read the book of the law, they would drip honey onto their tongue. Saying, and it, I mean, it would be the sweetest, if you've never had anything sweet and you ate honey, what's your reaction? This is amazing, right? It's amazing. So it's the sweetest thing ever. So when so they would know that reading the book of the law and reading the Old Testament was sweet. It was delightful to the taste. We want more of that. Right? If you give your kids candy, they always want, we want more, we want more, we want more. That's what they were trying to instill into their children. By age of 10, all young boys knew the Torah. In five years, they memorized five books of the Bible. And these are massive books of the Bible. I mean, can, you can you imagine if I said, next five years, you're going to quote to me the entire book of the Torah? That would be tough. It would be real tough. So in five years, they memorized the whole thing. At age 10, there was a weeding out process. They kind of figured out, hey, only the best students would go forward. Only those who were best at memorizing would go forward. If you made the cut, you went on now to learn 
the rest of the Old Testament. So now you get, so you go from the first five books, then you go now from Joshua to Malachi. The whole thing. Memorize it. Can you do that? That's tough. A lot of people struggle to even read the whole Bible in a year, less memorize the whole thing. So at age 17, if you wanted to make a career out of religious studies, your next role would be to find a rabbi. You had to find a rabbi that you admired and to become his Talmud, which was a disciple. And when you found one, you would sit next to their feet. This was your request to learn. You would, you would go sit at their feet, and you'd be like, I want to learn after you. I want to follow you. I want to learn everything that you do. I will go wherever you go and follow you. And all rabbis, they'd put you through a difficult test. Because what happens was, if you went and you followed a rabbi, what that rabbi is saying is, I, I have faith in you. I think that you can be just like me. I think you have what it takes to be just like me. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. So they went through a rigorous process and lots of questions of asking them, hey, all these difficult stuff, because I want to know, are you going to make the cut? Because you can only take so many. You know, they weren't pulling around schools of hundreds. It was the very few. So when I look at Luke 14, 26, and 33, if anyone comes to me and he does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot become my disciples. Jesus is calling people to radical discipleship and to totally leave everything that they have to follow him. So the rabbi selection, like I said, it was very, very rigorous. But it was one of the very best jobs of the day to become, uh, to become like a religious leader. They didn't want to become basketball players or football stars or rock stars. They wanted to become rabbis back in the day. They dreamed of that. So thus, the rabbis could choose the smartest, the most talented boys, almost like your Harvard, Yale, Cambridge, things like that. The only the, the most talented. And that's why they were so picky, because they could be. Right? If you've got all these people studying the same thing, you only want the cream of the crop. You only want the best. Supposedly, the highest compliment, I think this applies very well to us, the highest compliment you could give to a disciple was to say, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. The dust of your rabbi is all over you. That didn't mean, man, you need a shower. Like, you are just dirty. That's not what that meant. It meant that you emulated your rabbi that whatever he had stepped in, you got covered with. The question is, is the dirt of Jesus all over us? Are we dirty? Because everything that he does, we follow. And, it, and we're emulating him. It was a great honor to even just go through the process to become a disciple of a rabbi. And people so eagerly sought that out. So let's go to Mark 1. Let's make some, let's make some observations here. So Mark 1. Jesus calls ordinary people to be his disciples. When Jesus calls you and he saves you, you automatically become his disciple. Automatically. It's not like you have to, if he calls you, that is the process, right? He calls you, he saves you, now you are a disciple. It is not an optional thing. It's not something you could say, well, you know, I'll, hey, I'm, I'm willing to kind of believe in you, but I'm not sure I'm ready to follow you. It's not an optional thing. If, if you put your trust and faith in Christ, you are called to be a disciple. Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, as we read in our text, he walks and he calls these people out. And when he calls people to himself and he draws people to himself, they are disciples. There is no 
option. Interesting thing, like we said, these men, after the age of, uh, after the age of 10, or possibly 17, right, just did not make the cut. They, just, they couldn't memorize everything that they had to memorize. So then they just would leave, their, they would leave the school, and then they would go back home, and they would just get a job. There's no shame in that. Just go home, get a job, and they did. And they, they obviously did a good job as they were fishermen. So we're talking about these are just ordinary people, just like me, just like you. These are just working class people, just working back at home fishermen. This isn't the cream of the crop. These aren't, these aren't the scribes. These aren't the Pharisees. These aren't the religious leaders. These are just ordinary people just like you and me. And that is good news for us today because why? We can be disciples. We are disciples. I am nothing special. Just ask my wife. It is, it is amazing, though, that Jesus calls ordinary people to be his disciples. I love what John MacArthur says. He says, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts, not even a synagogue ruler. Half were fishermen, one was essentially an IRS agent, and one was a former terrorist. That's who Jesus chose. He didn't choose the cream of the crop. He didn't choose the smartest, or he didn't choose the best. He could have came, right? Uh, you know, the Jews were ready for a ruler to come and to, to conquer, to be super political, to be a warrior. And Jesus didn't do that. He could, I mean, he could have come and chose all these people who were high elitists, right? And he could have built that kind of kingdom. But that's not what he came to do. He didn't come to build an earthly kingdom here, like, like, we're, like they were thinking of. Instead, he built... A heavenly kingdom. Also, I think it's radical that we see that when I was describing the rabbi process, right? A disciple would go to the rabbi's feet and sit and say, I want to follow you. Is that what happened here? Is that what happened here? It's not. What happens? Jesus goes to them and says what? Hey, follow me. Follow he calls people to follow him. And, and that's wonderful. That means he has taken the initiative to love us and to save us and to call us to him himself. That's radical. That would have never happened. Rabbis never went and approached people. It's just not the custom. It's not how they do it. So radical. Jesus flipped everything right upside down. We are called to be little Christs. That's what Christian is. Little Christ. We are ordinary people chosen by him to follow him, to be a learner, to be an emulator of him, to have his dust all over us. We want to be dirty with the scriptures. We want to have all that dust all over us. And it's a big deal to be a disciple of Jesus. In America, I'll just be honest with you, people take it way too loosely. Like, it's so nonchalant. It doesn't, it, honestly, they're like, it doesn't, I mean, I can kind of, I can dabble in both. Like, I can do the worldly stuff, everything I want to do, but then when I want to on like a Sunday or like a Wednesday night, specifically Wednesday night, it's a really holy night in America, so we all go to church and we just do our thing and I can kind of dabble in both. But that's, once again, that's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to something bigger and more serious. We are literally, think about this, you are a disciple of the one who died for you. 
I mean, you are to follow and emulate him in everything he does. If you've yet to make a profession of faith, I would obviously ask you to do that today. To follow Jesus, your first step is to repent and believe and put your faith and trust in him. If you do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he has authority over hell, death, and the grave, and that he lived the life we could never live and died the death we deserve, that's the first step of following after Christ. Because we know we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and do not, we are nowhere near worthy to be his disciple. Nowhere near it. Not even close. But he has called us to that if you are a believer, just like he called his first disciples here in the text. The second thing I want to point out is that disciples need to be willing to forsake all else to follow Jesus. I mean, look at verse 22. This is for the other two. But immediately he called them, and they left their father in the boat with the hired hand servants. The other, if you, if you look, like I said, if you look above, right, he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men or fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. I like how it says immediately. They didn't say, like, let me pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. I'll get back to you next week. I'll write you, write you a letter. Or I'll, I'll send you an email, right? No, like, immediately, gone. Leave everything. Now, boats and fathers is what they left. What's the significance of a boat and their father? Well, boat, right, our careers. It's how we take care of ourselves. They were willing, think about this, they were willing to leave the comfort of money. Well, I mean, if you follow Rabbi, do you know where you're going? You have no idea where you're going. Did you make the plan? No, you don't make the plan. You just go. You don't know where you're going to lay your head. You don't, you don't know anything. You just follow. They left the comforts of knowing that they would be able to put food on the table. They have money to buy things that they would want. What about father? Leave father. What's the significance of that? Our most significant relationships. They were willing to leave what is so significant to them. For example, one of the disciples, at least one, was married. That's tough. Some of them, I mean, they, they may have had kids. Father, they, lost, they left their most significant relationships. Are we willing to do the same? to leave our boat, and to leave our Father? I want us to see also that Jesus, at other times, calls people to forsake boats and fathers. Okay, let me, I'll, just, I'll just read a couple. Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then he said to his disciples, if, anyone wants, if you want to follow after me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what benefit will it be if someone gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? That is a call to just literally follow him and nothing else. Follow Christ and nothing else. Just leave everything behind. If you try to save your life, it's gone. But if you lose your life and give it all to me, you'll have it. I mean, that's, that's radical thinking. The rich man who wanted to follow Jesus in Matthew 19. Jesus said, hey, if you want to go be perfect, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Your treasure will be in heaven, and then come follow me. After that, after you sell all your stuff, what should you do? Then follow me. Because you're not going to have 
all your stuff and follow me because you're just, you're, your heart is in the wrong spot here. He's calling people to forsake that. I, I think of uh, the, uh, yeah, I think of the, the scribe that Jesus, he said, I want you to, fo-, he said, I want to follow you. And he says, but first let me go back and let me bury my dad. And Jesus' answer may seem cold, but he says, let the dead bury the dead. Saying, hey, the most important thing you will ever do is follow me. That's the most important thing you'll do. Follow after me. Don't put anything else before me. Do not. Follow me. Emulate me. Learn for me. Upon becoming a Christian, we are telling Jesus that we're willing to leave our boats. We're willing to leave our fathers in response to following after him. Nothing is going to stand in the way of me emulating, of me wanting to become just like and having the dust of Jesus all over me. That is what he is calling us to. But for many of you, it's not going to be that dramatic. Let's just be honest. You're not going to have to probably leave your boat. You're most likely not going to have to leave your father. Some people in some contexts do indeed have to leave all their significant relationships behind. That's very true, and it's very real in our world today. But many of you may not have to go anything through that dramatic. College students, for example, your parents will say, you cannot pursue a summer of missions. You cannot do it. You do not have the money. You do not have the resources. You need to be here. High school students, you may be the only one to follow Jesus out of all your friends in school and get labeled as you're just that weird religious girl or that weird religious guy. That's just you. Some of you in business, you'll face the temptation to cut corners because why? Everybody else is doing it. Make more money that way. That may be a temptation, but instead, you will be patient to do, the way, to do things the way that honors God. Parents, I think about myself here. Am I going to go against the grain of culture, right? The grain of culture is going this direction, and many things that the culture is doing and teaching goes against what Scripture would say. Am I going to go against the grain, which is not comfortable for parents? Uh, are you going to go against the grain and teach your children the scripture and disciple them well, or are you just going to let culture swoop them away? I mean, you, you have that choice. What are you going to do? Being a follower of Jesus is not easy, and you have to make difficult decisions, and you're going to lose friends depending on your context. Uh, even, I mean, even in America, I lost some friends because they thought I was just weird. How could I believe in this Jesus guy? What have you done? What have you had to leave? What have you had to abandon to follow Christ? Have you had to change the way, uh, have you had to change your lifestyle, the way that you spend money, the way you interact with your friends, the way you speak and love your neighbors? What has had to change? Because if nothing has changed, just go back and think of like the last six months or a year. What has changed in your life? What, what do you, how do you look more like Christ today than you did a year ago? And if you can say that nothing really has changed from the moment you said you're a believer to today, I would wonder, are you actually a disciple? Like, if you don't have to give up anything and you're just sitting in your comfort bubble, I would once again, I would ask, are you a true disciple? Because disciples... We're, I mean, if we're all sinners and far from God, and to be brought near to God, to be forgiven of our sins, we have to change some stuff. Let's just be honest with ourselves. 
So I want you to ponder that. What have I had to change? And then what you know you've had to change, rejoice in the Lord that he has changed you. Because you can't change yourselves. So if you see yourself, you're like, wow, that is amazing. I used to be hooked on this, or I used to want to do this all the time, or man, my friendships, we used to have really crude speech, or, or whatever it may be. Rejoice in that, that the Lord has given you strength and help you overcome these temptations and lifestyle choices that you once had made. Rejoice in what the Lord has done always. And lastly, Jesus empowers disciples to spiritually reproduce. I want to look at the opening statement here in verse, um, where he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. By the way, this is like a guarantee to Jesus here. Hey, come follow me. I'm going to make you. Not like I'll try to make you. Like, no, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. It's going to happen. If you follow me for my three years, he didn't say that, but we know that. If you follow me for these three years, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. The outcome of our time together will be you will be a fisher of men. You will be my disciple, and at the end, you will be able to make disciples. That's my thing. That's exactly what's going to happen. We're not simply disciples for the rest of our lives. We are disciples who make disciples. That's what we do. And then even, even better, we are disciples who make disciple makers. Like we are disciples tr- teaching others to then go and disciple other people. That's what we do. That is what we are called to do. So now that we know a little bit about what it means to be a disciple, right, we are to be an emulator of Jesus. We are to follow Jesus at all costs. We are to, to want to be just like him and have his dust all over us. We also know what it takes. It takes leaving boat behind. It takes leaving father behind. It takes leaving significant things behind to follow him that are not, that are not things that he would so approve of. Now I, wanted, I want you to, if you have your Bible, just flip probably one page over to Matthew 28. I want to look at Jesus' last commands to his disciples. I know you're thinking, why, are, like, why go here? Like, why are you going to the last point, to the last page of Matthew? Well, here's what it says. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, how are these similar? How, when we're looking at this passage and, and you're like, how are you going to connect that to when he first called his disciples? Well, what, what things are similar here? Well, the first command, like we said, when he calls the people from the Sea of Galilee, he says, come follow me. I want you to follow me. Come follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. Now we're at the very end, right, in Jesus' last command to his disciples, and what does he say? He says, hey, now go. Ready, team. Or you guys don't play football here. Ready, break. And we go, right? Everybody hands in the middle. One, two, three, break. That's what it is. Go. Now your time is to go. You did all the training. You did all the equipping. You followed me. You learned. You're learned. You emulated me. Now let's go, and let's make disciples. Let's go and baptize. Like let's go and everything that you do, go and make disciples. That is his final command to them. They have been groomed to do this job, to make disciples. And honestly, we're all called to this. If you're sitting here like, man, those disciples, they were cool. Man, I'm glad they could do that. That's really awesome. I hope you're looking, I hope that's not how you're thinking. I hope you're looking at yourself like, sweet, I could, that's me too. 
Like, if I'm a disciple, I'm called to do that. Like, the Great Commission is mine. Like, I have to own it. I have to own that mission. And honestly, this is a joyous full-time job. Like, how cool is it to have other people who are, are infant Christians or baby Christians or maybe not even Christians yet, and to see them grow in their love and passion for Christ? That is amazing. I mean, you could be like spiritual great-grandparents. That's amazing. It's joyous. Look at Matthew 28. In the original language, the words go, baptize, and teach, are all, they all derive from the force of make disciples. So basically, what it, what it really reads is this. Everything we do grows out of the call to make disciples. So as you go and make disciples, teach them. As you go and make disciples, baptize them. As you, as you go, just make disciples. Wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever you eat, go and make disciples. That's what you got to do. Everywhere you do, through the lens of everything, you have to look at it, how can I emulate Jesus here? How can I model Jesus here? How can I teach Jesus here? Everything we do as a disciple should call us to emulate our Savior. And that's how, that how when we look at our own lives and we say, man, am I, am I following Christ genuinely right now? Hopefully, our hearts are attuned to that so we can prune the things in our lives that are setting us back from emulating him. Since we want to look just like him. We are called to leave what occupies our hearts and minds for Christ. Anything that occupies our minds or hearts over Christ is idolatry. We want to prune ourselves of that so we can be like Jesus. And to be just like Jesus means you replicate yourself. So one of my last questions is this. What would it look like if you took the next year and committed yourself to be a disciple who wanted eagerly to become like Jesus, to study his word, to communicate with him through prayer, through gathering together with other church members to, to pray together, to study the scriptures together, and to, to have, hold each other accountable. If we're honest, we all need held accountable, right? And there's things that I do in my life that I'm grateful for other pastors at our church and other friends that are like, hey, man, we need to, we need to tweak that. Tweak that train of thought. Or, or maybe, maybe you shouldn't say things like that. Or, or maybe you shouldn't be more patient with your kids. Like, we need that. That is, I mean, that is a part of the call to discipleship is accountability. So what would it look like for you for the next year to really desire to emulate to become like Jesus, to learn more from Scripture, to be led by the Spirit? What, what, what would it even look like for you to do that? And what would it look like to disciple others around you, where you work, where you play, where you eat, what would that look like? Because at the end of the day, we're called to one thing. Make disciples. Make disciples. That is what we are called to do. And it, honestly, here's, here's the weird part. I'll just be honest. It's a very multifaceted thing. It's not like a, it's not a can. Like you just don't, uh, me and Cole have talked about this before. It's not like you just be like, all right, cool. So here's the process of discipleship. Just open this and drink this and you'll be good. Just, if you just, the faster you drink it, the more quicker it'll go. It's like the process of discipleship is very strange. It could happen one-on-one. 
happen in just a couple. It happens in like smaller, smaller, large groups, right? In groups of 10 to 12, groups of one and two, groups of one-on-one. Discipleship is not a canned process, but it's just a process you have to figure out and what that looks like. And I know Pastor Steve, he's been thinking a lot about, hey, in this church, how can we really make disciples here? Like, how can we do that? If you want to be discipled, I know he's ready and willing to disciple anyone who comes to him and says, I want to learn. I want to become more like Jesus. But I can promise you this. He's not going to just let you be a disciple. He's going to make you a disciple maker. Which means he's going to call you then to say, hey, I'm glad we got to do this. And we'll keep doing it. But I want you to go do this with someone else. Because that's what we're called to do. We are disciples who make disciples. As I said before, the first step in becoming a disciple of Jesus is to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. That is the very first step, to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the Son of God who conquered hell, death, and the grave through the cross of Calvary. I want you to, if, like I said, if you've never put your trust and faith in Christ, I want you to contemplate that. I want you to think hard on that and look at the claims of who Jesus says he is. And I am confident that you will come to the conclusion that he is worth following. He is worth forsaking family. He is worth forsaking friends. He is worth, worth forsaking my job to follow. It is worth it. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. So I pray that you will go on the discipleship journey with this church to, 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 to really plug in here, to desire to emulate our Savior more, that then you can spiritually replicate yourself and be a disciple who makes disciple makers. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. God, you are so kind to us. You are so gracious to us. Lord, I thank you for all the believers here. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to yourself, that you have drawn us near to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help instill in us a passion and a love for you and a heart for you. Lord, help us be disciples, Lord, who who want to grow and want to emulate you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in that, that you would guide us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us have a heart for others, Lord, that we can also disciple others. Help us, Lord, have confidence in you, knowing, Lord, that we don't make disciples on our own, but we are led by the Spirit to do that, and the Spirit does the work in our hearts and other people's hearts. Help us, Lord, be faithful disciples of you. In Jesus' name, amen.